0: Let's sing a chorus. Y'all want to sing a chorus this morning? Uh, let's see here. I was going to do uh, "There's Sunshine in My Soul," but it's cloudy outside. Um, showers of blessings don't seem appropriate. How about "Every Day with Jesus" is sweeter than the day before? Can we do that one? All right, let's do that. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus. I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me, and he's the one I'm waiting for. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And I hope that's our testimony, that every day gets a little bit sweeter. And I remember when I got married, my uncle told me, said that, Uh, He told my aunt, as often as he could remember to do it, that he loved her more today than he did yesterday, but not as much as he loved her, he'll love her tomorrow. And so I thought, boy, that's a good thing to tell the Lord Jesus. Lord, I love you more today than I did yesterday, but not as much as I'll love you tomorrow. And uh, always be growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And looking forward to it. Well, we're in Proverbs chapter 22. (coughs) We've been about 17 years. Uh, since we started the book of Proverbs, uh, evangelistically speaking, we've got another 14 or 15 years to go yet, but we uh, really have been enjoying a verse-by-verse study through it. Brother Randy's done a great job with it, and uh, we've certainly enjoyed it. Uh, last time we met, boy, doesn't it seem like it's been an eternity since we met? I got I got figuring this morning, I did the bulletin, and we are already on the 20. 6th is that right today 27th is that right and uh, the last bulletin i did was january 6th and i thought wow we have missed that much already so uh anyway well good to be back in church and uh anyway the last time uh we were here i think brother randy told me we ended with verse two i'm going to read verses one and two and then we'll move on to verse number three a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches And loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. And then that brings us to verse number three. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. What does the word prudent mean? Anybody got an idea on that? That's not a word we use real often. All right, Brother Ron? Okay, careful would be a good uh, synonym for it. Okay, somebody else, prudent. Uh, do what? Someone that holds back. Okay, probably the the response from being prudent. Yes, Pam. Yes, absolutely. Yes. All right, prudent. Anybody else got an idea? Okay. Uh, The idea of um, having wisdom, but I believe that the wisdom that it's speaking of here and the idea of being able to make good choices comes from being well-informed as well. As we read the verse, I want you to look at it with me in verse number 3. A prudent man foreseeth the evil. The Bible teaches us very clearly that we are to walk circumspectly, and the idea being that we're to be constantly looking around Uh, the fact that there are responsibilities that God's given to each and every one of us, not just uh, pastors and not just uh, missionaries and evangelists, but every person that is saved uh, has been given a responsibility by God. And the responsibility is this, that we are to reach the entire uh, world in our generation. Uh, I think sometimes we get in our hearts and in our minds that um, the Great Commission was given so that man sometime in the period of history would eventually reach all of the world. But the truth of the matter is God gave the Great Commission to be accomplished in every generation. In other words, our generation, it's our our responsibility. And we're to reach everybody in the world in our generation. Before I die, uh, I need to be able to see that we've reached everybody in my generation with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Because a lot of times we don't see the importance of reaching it now in our generation. We think, well, we'll do our part now, and then the next generation can do their part, and the next generation do their part. No, we're supposed to reach the entire world today in our generation. And um, I think sometimes because we're lax in that view, uh, we begin to become apathetic in the area of uh, things. I am appalled at... uh, the condition that our world is in. I was reading the news this week and I mean I was just heartbroken. You know, we've been praying we prayed last week for a young lady that was considering having an abortion down in Florida and I got word late Wednesday night that she had opted not to do the abortion, and I thank the Lord for that. But but now we've got a state in our country that is now allowed people to abort babies, even right up to the day of birth. And um, if we're not careful, we'll be silent about it. We're not being circumspect. We're not being aware of what's going on. And uh, I don't want to preach the next message, the next services message right now, but I do want to say this, that a prudent man foreseeth the evil. He's aware. Somebody said that a smart man will learn from their mistakes, but a wise man will learn from other people's mistakes. And uh, there is some wisdom. There's some prudence. There is some good judgment in foreseeing the evil. I'm not asking us to be uh, alarmists and overly cautious, but I am saying this. I think we're so far removed from that concept we're no we're nowhere near it. We're nowhere in danger of being overly cautious. In fact, uh the Bible quite often tells us that we're to awake and uh thou that sleepest. And I believe that we are many times as Christians lulled into complacency. Uh <laughs> folks, there used to be a day We would hold up to the standards of God's word, and we would wave the banner high, unashamed of it. And nowadays, people attack it left and right, and everybody holds their tongue, and they're silent because they're afraid that somebody's going to say, well, you've offended me. And uh, I've said it before that what people call being offended today, we used to call conviction. And it was something that needed to be done. I don't like conviction any more than you do, but I know that it's necessary. I, I can't stand needles. I don't like getting shots. My, uh, my kids, they like to give blood, and I'll give blood if somebody needs it, but my thought was if God wanted us to give blood, he'd have put a spigot on us somewhere. <laughs> I don't like needles. But I know that there are times in my life that I thank God that there was a needle involved because it saved me. From being sick to the point that I could have even died. It's not that I enjoyed it. But I needed it. And because I needed it. I was thankful for it. And I can say this. I even rejoiced in it. Can I tell you this. That when God's conviction comes into our hearts and our lives. We can be thankful for it. In fact I would be scared to death. If there wasn't any conviction. But I'm thankful for it. And uh, we can even rejoice in it, can't we? And I'll tell you this, I think we are living in some days that are very perilous times. And I believe that God's people for far too long have been way too silent. And I'm not saying we have to go out here and be hateful. I'm not at all saying that. But we do need to stand for what is right. I am appalled. I wrote an article just a few weeks ago. And I am appalled at people that go into sin willingly and blatantly and openly, and not not at them so much because I know that we all have moments of temptation and weakness, and I know we all are sinners, and I'm not saying that we're any better than anybody else. But I am saying this, what has appalled me is how many Christian folks come around that person and pat them on the back and say, it's okay, what you're doing is okay. As long as you're happy, as long as you're comfortable. My friend, the Bible doesn't tell us to condone and to give license to their sin. It tells us that we, in the spirit of humility and meekness, are to restore them with a broken heart. And uh, I look at this and I think, you know, you got to understand Solomon is, is sitting across from his son. He's teaching him life lessons. And he tells his son, he says, son, a prudent man is going to foresee the evil and hide himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. The simple-minded man is the one that sees the evil that's going on and they're they are they're not really bothered by it. They just continue in it. I, I know that the implication is in this verse, although it doesn't, Uh, say it specifically but the implication it's getting at is you're going to reap what you sow and uh, that a man who is prudent is going to see that evil and he's going to keep himself from it he's going to stay away from it Uh, my dad years ago used to tell the story of a man a very wealthy man (coughs) lived up on top of a mountain and was uh, in need of a chauffeur for his limousine and he put an ad out and three men applied and uh, when they got there he said you all have equal qualifications he said I'm going to have each of you drive down the mountainside and I want to look at your skill in driving and the first one gets in and boy he is hugging the uh, edge and going down as fast as he can and he skids the tires just to where they come right to the edge and and gets down that mountain with great skill in in his driving. The second man says, well, I can do better than that, and he gets out there and he skids, and, boy, he's even beating the other man's time. He's right out there on the edge, and he knows just how far that car can go before it falls over the edge of the cliff. The third man gets in there, and he drives as slow as he can and hugs the inside of the mountain. You know which one the man hired? He hired the third man. He didn't want to see how close they could get to the edge. He wanted to see how far they could stay away from it. And I think so often we try to see how close we can get to the edge. The day that we live. Even in our churches. Have you noticed that? Even in our churches we try to see how close we can get to the edge. And instead of saying, no, I need to stay away from that. So a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. They get what they deserve. They go into it, and the early part of the book of Proverbs talked about the simple man, the man who uh, is simple-minded, is easily swayed and drawn into sin. And uh, so that's what verse number three is dealing with here. Verse number four: By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And I love this. I think that the fear of the Lord many times begins with humility. Because here's, here's the problem with pride and haughtiness. Pride and haughtiness causes us to be self-sufficient, doesn't it? We think, Lord, I can handle this part of my life, right? I mean, that's, that's the arrogance that man has. That's our ego. That's the old flesh nature. And that's the exact opposite of fearing God. Fearing God is saying, God, I can't do this. I, I've got to have you. Or I'm not going to make it. And a humility uh, and a fear of God, I believe, are the the face and the tail of the same coin. I don't think you can divorce the one from the other. Uh, I believe that both must come together. I don't think you can fear the Lord without humility. And I don't think you can have humility without fearing the Lord. I heard somebody say this one time. Humility is not thinking uh, less of yourself than you should. It's just not thinking of yourself. It's thinking of someone else. And putting them first. And so Solomon again speaking to his son. He says by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And I love verses like this in scripture don't you? Uh, because this is what it does for us. We, we cannot know all of the mind of Christ can we? Whatever we think him to be he's we haven't even started yet right? He says my ways are far above your ways. My thoughts above your thoughts. And A.W. Tozer years ago in the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, and some of you have read it, said in chapter 2, whatever you think God to be, he is not. And you read that on the surface you think, boy, what's he saying there? But really all he's saying is we cannot grasp God. And so when I find a verse like this in Scripture, it, it's helpful to me. Because what it does is it shows me what things God loves. What are the things that God is okay with? What are the things that He longs to see in my life? I can't know all of the mind of Christ, but when I see a verse like this, I can know a little bit of it. I can know how He feels about certain things. And so as we look at verse number 4, let's look at what it says here. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. It brings God's blessings. This is something God puts His stamp of approval on. This is something that we don't have to go through life saying, boy, I sure wish I knew what God wanted. (laughs) We just found it. And aren't you glad that throughout Scripture, oftentimes he tells us of things that are meeting his approval. I love in Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 1, it's one of my favorite verses as a parent. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is... Right, honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth. And we find that that's the first commandment that God gives That's with promise. And so we find something else that God says, hey, I'm okay with this. I love this. And then we look over in Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 1, and God makes this statement through the Apostle Paul, be ye followers of me as dear children. In other words, the way that I expect my children to obey me as their parent and to honor me as their parent is the way that I'm supposed to relate to God. I'm to obey Him because it's right, not because there's reward, just because it's right, but I'm to honor Him, and that's where the reward is, that pleases God. And so I love verses like this that tell us what pleases God. Now I can go and say, okay, I want to work on this. I want this to be in my life because I want to please God with my life. So we have humility and the fear of the Lord. All right, number, verse number five. Verse number five. Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. What does the word froward mean here? I know we've seen this a few times in Proverbs. Anybody know what froward is? That's, not, that's another old word that we don't use very often. I don't walk up to somebody and say, hey, you're froward. <laughs> uh, we don't use that a lot. Brother Jim? Okay, perverse would be a good one. Uh, a lot of study Bibles will say perverse. Worldly, okay, ungodly. Uh, their mind is bent. I'm reminded when I read this word, especially of the condition of the man, uh, mankind during the time of Noah, that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And only, they only had evil thoughts continually. And so the idea being that this is a wicked, perverse, ungodly person. And so it says this, thorns and snares are the way of the froward. It's just part of uh, what describes them. When you're around them, you can rest assured that you're going to be ensnared and you're going to be caught up in the thorns. You don't mess around with things like this and expect to come out unscathed, uh, unspotted. Uh, Years ago, there was a coal miner, a man who owned a coal mine, and a very wealthy fellow, and he went to visit one of his coal mines one day, and he took his daughter with him, and she had a beautiful white dress on. And while they were there, the foreman of the coal mine said, well, uh, we'd love to have you go in and, and view the mine and see everything that's going on there. And so they got ready to go in, and they told the young lady that she would need to change clothes. And she said, no, sir. She said, you cannot keep me. And she was a little spoiled girl. And she said, you cannot keep me from going into that uh, mine with a white dress. And the foreman said, ma'am, you're right. I cannot keep you from going into that mine with a white dress. But he said, I can guarantee you, you will not come out with a white dress. The idea being that when she went in there, she was going to, just by the proximity to the coal mine, Be spotted with the cold. And can I tell you this? That when it comes to worldliness, no matter how much we may think, well, I don't think anybody ought to be able to tell me I need to change clothes or I need to do this or that. We cannot get into the world and not come out unspotted. We've got to to understand this truth that when we get messing around with those that are froward, they're going to be a snare to us. And there's going to be some thorns along the way. It's going to happen, but the Bible says, "He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them." So again, giving the idea, and this kind of goes along with verse number uh, uh, verse number three uh, about those that are foreseeing evil and they're staying away from it. He hideth himself from it, and the idea being that you just don't even you don't even mess with it. Um, when I was in college, an illustration was given to me, and I know a lot of people have heard this. But uh, there was a big discussion back in the 80s and 90s between ministries. Ministries were just beginning to to change into this seeker-friendly type stuff, and a lot of changes were being done in churches. And a lot of churches were arguing back and forth whether we were to be a preventative type of a ministry or whether we were to be a remedial type of ministry where we come in and try to fix it after it's broken. And some people were saying, well, we need to have ministries that come in and and find the broken lives and repair them and fix them. And the idea being that uh, the illustration was given was they were seeing a, a cliff, if you will, a figurative cliff, and people were coming along in life and not realizing that they were heading towards destruction and they would fall over the cliff. And some churches and ministries were saying, we need to build a hospital at the bottom so that when they fall... Uh, we can go and take the ambulance, go get them, bring them in, and do what we can to salvage them. And some other ministries came along, and they said, well, that's not enough because they're still falling over the cliff. They said, we need to go up to the top of that place and build a fence, keep them from falling over the cliff. And a big discussion was going on back then between churches and a lot of criticism, people going back and forth. Can I tell you this? There should never be a discussion about it because the church is to be both. A church is supposed to give forth the principles of God's word that keep us from sin. But we as, God, as, as man, and, and with the old flesh nature in us, we find a way, don't we? To climb over it, or dig under it, or go around it. Uh, they don't build a fence high enough sometimes to keep man. And so there are times that we'll still fall over that fence. And there better be a ministry there at the bottom to help pick up the pieces as well and put us back together. And a church ought to be both. But can I tell you this? This is the problem, I think, that we find with that illustration with Christianity. Is So often we put the fence right at the edge of the cliff. And I've heard people say, well, I don't like the standards a particular church has. And that's fine. You don't have to like them. But can I tell you this? Our standards ought to be placed in such a position based on the principles of God's Word that we're not right at the edge of the cliff. There ought to be a room there. And I'm not saying that you have to be mean or hateful with them, but there ought to be something there that in a moment of weakness, if you step over the line of your standard, you're still okay according to God's Word. The Bible uses it, uh, this, this wording, above reproach, uh, to where it's not even once named among the saints. That we become the that which becometh the gospel of Christ, our testimony, our walk, such a way that there's a a, a a buffer there, and so we take the principles of God's word, and so we find this in verse number five when it talks about the soul that uh, that, uh, that keeps the man that keeps his soul shall be far from them. Don't get up as close as you can. Put that fence back far enough. Have a barrier there. Put a hedge up there. Put a battlement around the roof to keep you from falling off. And uh, that's the idea that's given here in verse number 5. Let's look at number six. verse number 6. I can't see that clock back there. We, oh, we're doing real good. Well, we might get through in 12 years instead of 14 now. All right, verse number 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. This verse has been used and abused uh, a lot uh, over the years. Uh, I've heard people say, well, look at that preacher's kid or look at that child of that deacon or that member in the church. They were raised in a Christian home and raised in a Christian school. And, uh, and, and yet they turned out bad. And, um, and there's no doubt that some of that happens. But I think the key here is looking at the first word, Uh, the idea of training up a child, not just teaching a child or showing a child, but training them. There's a difference there. Um, I heard of a a fellow mention it this way one time. He said that in our churches, in our youth groups especially, and in our Christian schools, Um, A lot of times we are guilty of Christianizing unsaved kids. Um, We are creating whitewashed sepulchers. We take them in a school, and the first thing that we do is we give them the standards and the rules. And, And I'm not opposed to that. We had a Christian school in Florida. We had very high standards in comparison to a lot of Christian schools today. But we always did it with love, and it was something that was an investment in the heart of the student. And the problem that we have a lot of times is we focus our do's and don'ts so much on the external of the person. and when then we never and, and there's nothing wrong with doing that, but the problem is we never then focus on the heart of the issue. We, we never focus on what, what the inward part of us. There's three parts that make up every one of us. What we know, what we are, and what we do. All three of those make up a person. And here's the problem in a lot of our churches is we do a lot of our preaching. In fact, most of our preachers, I would say probably 80 or 90% of our preaching is on what a man knows and what a man does. There's very little preaching There's very little investing on what a man is. Jesus, when he was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, there was no, no doubt that he was quite critical, wasn't he, of the Pharisees? He said, woe unto you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Boy, that's pretty scathing words. He says, outwardly you're, what, clean. You remember that? It's interesting to me that God, uh, that Christ does not condemn them for what they were on the outside. And he commended them, actually. He had no complaints about what they were outwardly. The problem that Christ had was what they were inwardly, didn't he? He said, you're full of dead men's bones. And the problem we have a lot of times when we are working with our children is we teach them a lot, and we tell them you have to do certain things. And we spend very little time with this part right here. Very little time of saying, let's, let's kneel down here and spend some time with the Lord together. Very little time of teaching them and investing in them the importance of their personal walk with God. Not just obeying because mom and dad said and by the way, let me just say this, and I know we're all this way, when a kid is real, real little and they're trying to stick the the fork in the socket, uh, the light socket, you say no, and they might say why. They're not going to, you don't sit there and say, well, because uh, several years ago, a, a man by the name of Thomas Edison came up with alternating current. Let me tell you about alternating current. It's a 120 volts and 60 hertz on a, on a sine wave, you have the positive, the negative, and if they're six, seven years old, they're not going to know why. And so we all say, because I, hey, you had a parent like mine. But at some point, they better know why. At, at a certain point, we better start teaching them the why. Because if we don't, at some point, somebody's going to give an argument and it's going to be such a surface decision and and conviction in their heart. It's going to be such a surface standard that it'll be quickly uprooted. Train up a child in the way he should go. Not just teach them. We're not just setting a set of standards and saying you have to perform outwardly a certain way. I, I want my son and my daughter's To behave a certain way. I I want that as a parent. I I want them to represent Christ. I I want them to know that they have a good name of of a family. I want them outwardly to be a certain way. I I want them certainly to know some things about scripture. I want them to be knowledgeable. But way beyond either one of those two. I want them to be something on the inside. I, I want their walk with God. To be something that is personal and powerful. I want them to... I want to be able to walk in their room without them knowing I'm on my way. And to see them on their knees beside their bed. Praying, or reading their Bible. I want there to be something inside of them beyond just dad said so. The idea being to train up a child. And by the way, can I tell you this? What works for a child... I know this is hard to understand sometimes, but can I help you with this? It'll also work for an adult. I've known people that were up in years before they got saved. Can I tell you this? We're as much in need to be trained by God's Word as a young child is. I don't care how long you've been saved, and I don't care how long you've been in church. Uh, I've said this just since we've made the change in our afternoon services One of the things I get a joy out of is I get a chance to go on Sunday nights and hear some preachers preaching. And some people say, well, you're our preacher. Why do you need preaching? Can I tell you this? I need preaching as much as anybody. And I enjoy that. It feeds my soul. It helps me. I want to be trained. And so train up a child in the way he should go. Folks, we're all in this together. Not one is any better than another. We're all seeking to try to walk with God. And the importance is that we all help each other. When we see one of us that's stumbling and along the way, maybe not not doing what we ought to be. That's where the Bible says, we which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Come alongside of them and and, and undergird them and help them and strengthen them. And say, man, let's walk this together. Let's get back on track with the Lord and together. Let's let's spend some time praying together. Train up a child in the way he should go. And then the truth of it is, when he is old, he will not depart from it. I've never seen anyone that's walking with God the way that they should, that's ever departed from it. And over the years in counseling, folks, there are times people come to my have come to my office and said, Pastor, I don't know, uh, we're having problems in this area of my life. Uh, I had a staff man just a few years, about eight or nine years ago, come to me. So I've had a problem for a number of years, and in fact, the last two churches I've been in, I've talked with the pastor and been struggling with this in my life. And um, first question that I ask is, how's your walk with God? I found this usually, I, probably I would say about 70 or 80 percent of the people who came to council, the one session was all it took. Because they realized that really the symptom was over here, but the root was the walk with God was not what it should have been. And when they took care of that, everything else seemed to take care of itself. I I think the Bible says something like that, doesn't it? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and a few of these things. Is that what it says? Some, Some of these things? How much? All of these things shall be added unto you. The Christian life is really simple. It's it's hard, but it's simple. My will or His will. And it's that simple. To be honest with you, if Christians and even lost people (laughs) would learn that one truth, I'd be out of a job. I'd be out of a ministry because it's that simple. Every moment of every day, I have to make a choice. I either want my way or his way. I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> Far too often I choose my way. And that's why the psalmist I believe so often would say things like. Oh that my way is worth thy ways. Uh, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old he will not depart from it. How's our walk with God? Uh, very very important that we deal with those things. All right well. I think that's about all we're going to get covered today. So let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. And then we'll be back in just a few minutes for our 11 o'clock service. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your word. Lord, what a joy it is to read it, to study it. Lord, there are times that we don't enjoy what we read because we see that there are things that we've been enjoying that it it corrects us on. But yet, Lord, we are thankful for it. I pray that you would help us. Every time we have opportunity to come and sit under teaching and preaching of your word. I pray that you would help us before we ever set foot in the building. That we will already make up our minds. Lord, if you will show us your truth, we will walk in it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us daily to grow. To become more of what we ought to be for you. And Father, I pray that you would help us this year. To begin seeing people saved. And Father, that we would be able through our labor and through sowing the gospel everywhere we go, that we will see your Holy Spirit do a unique work in the hearts of those that we speak with and in strengthening us and giving us the boldness and the thought and the clarity of thought to be able to present the gospel clearly. And Father, we do ask that you would bless the service to come. Bless Brother Cromwell as he presents his ministry. Here shortly when he begins to preach, I pray that you would fill him with your power. Lord, bless the service to come, and I pray that it would bring honor and glory to you in everything we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray.